All right, hello and welcome to RealCom's second webinar in the series titled Wireless Technology in the Built Environment. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, your RealCom host for today's webinar, Case Studies in, the, in Wireless Technology. We're set up these webinars, we do this in two parts typically to address what it is and why companies are interested. And we primarily do that in part one. Part two focuses more on how companies have accomplished these projects and what to expect for the future. You can still hear some a little bit of overlap from time to time, but that's our general focus and that'll be what we're doing in today's session. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to all of our live attendees. We encourage you to use the Q&A box on the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you're an active participant. We can feed those right to the panel and they can uh, respond fairly quickly and generally do. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios about our panelists, a copy of today's slides and the slide, I believe the slide deck from last time is there. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. They suck up a lot of the frequency. So, you know, we want to give our frequency the highest priority. So you'll learn a lot more. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help at any time during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording later today. And we've included my email address on the bottom of this slide in case you can think of questions for our panel while you're watching this as a recording. They've already gone home, so you can't interact. But if you send them to me, I'll forward them on to the panel. This educational webinar is sport, supported by our outstanding sponsors. For more than 170 years, Corning has combined its unparalleled expertise in glass science, ceramic science, and optical physics with deep manufacturing and engineering capabilities to develop life-changing innovations and products. They are transforming the way the world connects. Spot on Networks offers managed Wi-Fi, cell boost, distributed antenna systems, RF and cellular surveys, and so much more. They are all about wireless, and that's why they're here today. So you're going to enjoy that. We are grateful for our contributions by these technology partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you've tuned in to learn more about the latest in wireless technology, you'll certainly want to include these vendors in your evaluation process. Our moderator for today's webinar is Michael McMahon, an Intelligent Buildings Consultant with Newcomb and Boyd. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much, Chuck. Pleasure to be back. All right, great to ha have you here. We'll, um, I'm gonna see you at the end. We're gonna jump right into it. You've got you know, a great panel, so, uh, Let's hear it. Good for you. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you very much, Chuck. Uh, thank you, everyone, for attending today, too, as well as our panelists. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good uh, group of folks here that are going to explain some great details about how to get it done, right? Uh, so the first part, we, we understood a little bit more about the technology that we're, we're speaking about today. Uh, but really, these case studies kind of focus on their their challenges, their obstacles, how they overcame them, the opportunities that they got presented to them uh, during the course of rolling out wireless. 
Uh, wireless comes in many different flavors. Uh, it's been an amenity. Uh, it's been a nice to have for years. Uh, now we're starting to see a shift in the focus of the, the deployments of different various types of wireless services out there, whether it's CBRS, you know, your private LTE type services, your Wi-Fi uh, expansions of that. Uh, there's a lot of gotchas that come into play, especially when we're talking about multi-tenant environments where we have different tenants co-occupying space, especially with Wi-Fi. Uh, having a restricted number of channels to be able to use could cause interference with each other sometimes. So it's really important and critical to really have a good plan coming in. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of you're going to hear today is the practical application of how they overcame that, what their success rates were. And it's not just the technical side of things, too. It's the fiscal side. How do we pay for these types of endeavors? What, what really drives uh, the KPIs uh, so that you know that your deployment was actually successful? Uh, I think the first two case studies that we're going to hear about are going to kind of outlie, um, show some of those outliers and, and bring them back into focus for everybody that's on the group here. The um, practical application, there's a couple of really good examples that we're going to have a little bit later on uh, that are going to provide some general expertise on how to at least get started and the things to take into consideration. Uh, wireless deployment is going to be changing over the next couple of years when we talk about the different construction methodologies even uh, that are coming out, uh, such as cross-laminate timber um, and passive house design and things of that nature that are that are really taking in and fundamentally changing the core and shell of the building, uh, how the buildings are constructed, and the materials that are used within the buildings. And that's going to affect those wireless deployments moving forward. But in the interim, I think the main key piece is to focus on what are those different use cases? How did they get solved uh, when you were talking about bringing in wireless? Wireless to me is a foundational aspect of any commercial real estate building. It's a means of communication, not just for tenant experience, uh, but also backend systems and operational systems that can function in, within the building itself. If you were to take a look at, say, restroom functionality, um, and bringing in a smart restroom service, majority of those have some type of backhaul connection to the internet. How do they get to the internet? Chances are good that's probably over some type of wireless medium, whether it's Wi-Fi or cellular. If you don't have, excuse me, if you don't have that foundation in your building, uh, then it's very challenging to try to provide those services uh, and take on those types of solutions to operate your building. And so with that, I think um, what I would like to have today is anybody that's on the call that has any other questions that pop up, please feel free to put those in the chat. Uh, Chuck is going to be able to bring those to our attention so that we can get them addressed during the, um, during the presentation here. And I'd really like to hear a, lot, uh, a little bit more feedback on how this is going to uh, affect your business and, and and any possible ways that some of the case studies that we brought have touched on some of the examples that you've experienced uh, while deploying wireless. So that would be also something that I would love to be able to have feedback on as well. And so with that, I'd like to introduce our first panelist, uh, Michael Osmond. Uh, Michael is the CTO of Bedrock Detroit, and uh, he's, the, um, he's leading the technology team in building services enterprise project management systems, data management, and IT. He has more than 20 years experience as an information and technology executive. Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Michael. Um, happy to be here. So, you know, I'd like to start and talk a little bit about the why um, we've decided to uh, 
get into cellular. And, you know, one of the key things is just that, you know, as we build new buildings and renovate, you know, we're using a lot of sort of new materials like low E glass and things like that. Together with the uh, advent of 5G and higher frequencies, we're finding as predicted in this slide by Gartner, I think it's a couple of years old now, that, uh, you know, we're not getting a lot of cellular coverage from the macros outside the buildings where we've uh, made some of these changes. And uh, even, you know, the mid-band frequencies where the carriers spent a lot of money um, to buy that bandwidth, thinking it would penetrate buildings, uh, those uh, results are coming in uh, disappointing, you know, based on conversations with various carriers. So, you know, given the, you know, one, the imperative to get good cellular coverage inside our buildings, plus support advanced uh, uses, use cases for, you know, IoT, autonomous vehicles, and to get control over a lot of the cellular connectivity. So, you know, I'm not having to pay for uh, cellular for every EV charger and uh, every parking system and things like that. I can use my own private network to carry that for me. Um, you know, as we, as we thought about this, we kind of come up with this little grid on the different types of uh, cellular systems that are out there and, you know, where they're good, where they're not good, some of the costs, who some of the key uh, vendors are. You know, we've ended up going with uh, Citizens Broadband Radio Service, or CBRS, uh, which uh, uses active cellular radios, much like uh, Wi-Fi, and then connects to your IP infrastructure to route that traffic over the internet to either your private core or the public core. Um, you know, happy to take some questions on this, but, uh, you know, DAS basically is still a good thing for very large venues with a lot of people. Um, small cell and hybrid, um, good if you're really interested in that sort of public networking. Um, CBRS yeah, really is for private, and we're just now getting to the point where we can route calls over the public networks. Um, so our case study is we have a building, the Ally building, which is in uh, downtown Detroit. It's the second tallest building in the city. Um, we've been working with a couple of the tenants in that building to improve uh, cellular. Their main complaint was, you know, cellular coverage is not great. They keep picking up stuff uh, across the river. So Windsor's less than a mile away. So you get Canadian service on their cell phones and things like that. So we've been working with them and we built a uh, pilot system, which looks like this. So basically uh, got distributed cellular radios. And you know, one of the key findings is that um, in terms of Wi-Fi, you might need a radio about every 2,500 square feet. With the cellular, we're getting good coverage at least on 10,000 square feet one radio. So, you know, that means you need a lot fewer ports on your uh, switches. And uh, eventually, as the radios become more common and higher volume manufacturing, um, I think it'll end up being cheaper to deploy a private cellular solution than even Wi-Fi. A lot of debate around that. Um, you know, basically, all the, uh, the radios connected the IP infrastructure, which goes to the basement, out to the internet. 
um, we've partnered with Highway 9. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the various uh, companies out there offering CBRS, you have what I'll call integrators and you have uh, product companies. Um, we've partnered with uh, Highway 9 because they have a complete uh, full stack virtualized um, private network and Moken gateway. So Moken stands for um, multi-operator carrier network. And that's how you connect to the public network. So, you know, primarily anything data we do within the building, we'll go over the private network, won't use anybody's data plans. Um, anything we want to do with public phone calls, you have to have the carrier signed up on your Mopin gateway or be using something very new, which is the uh, CBRS equivalent of Wi-Fi calling, which has just now been released on the latest uh, Apple uh, iOS release. Um, you know, Airspan, I mentioned, is the de facto standard. It's the only one I know of today that's certified by both AT&T and T-Mobile. We expect to have T-Mobile and AT&T in our Moken gateway by the end of the year. And, uh, you know, what that means, there, there's really two ways of uh, using the network. One, if you're just a T-Mobile user, you can pick up your phone, make calls, use data, um, connect to the public network, and off you go. The PLMNID for T-Mobile will be broadcast on the radios, which basically is the radio saying, I've got T-Mobile here, connect up. The other way of operating will be if you download uh, an eSIM or a SIM for the Highway 9 network. In that case, you're using private networking for all your data needs, and you know 90% of what you do in buildings is data. You know that's what you would use for your building automation systems, your IoT, your cellular cameras, all that sort of good stuff. And uh, you know at the end of the day, we think that the combination or what we'd call a hybrid network where there's a lot of interesting things we can do with the private data side of things, but also giving our tenants the convenience of just picking up their phone and making a call, which, you know, it's funny, it's what you think of when you think of cellular service, and yet it's you know probably less than 10% of what cell phones are used for. Um, I think there's, uh, that's enough on that one. It's a busy slide. You can look it over um, on, you, at your own, on your own time. If you have any additional questions, you know, feel free to reach out after the, uh, some, after the webinar. Uh, last thing I want to talk about real quickly is, uh, you know, I've been a user of in-building cellular for a long time during my real estate career. It used to be the carriers would pay me to put in, let's say, a DAS and then they'd pay me rent to be on my desk. And, uh, you know, that model has been flipped so that, you know, the carriers are not expecting the landlords to pay for the uh, infrastructure. And then, you know, if we're, if we're lucky, they'll agree to join on. It's um, still not a certain thing they will. So what we're doing is we're taking a kind of a novel approach where you know, we're looking to find an infrastructure partner who will pay for the infrastructure and then uh, share with us the revenue that you can generate through a comprehensive uh, look at the uh, uh, 
everything you can do with a private network. And so, you know, we're very close to having an agreement with a partner who's going to do this, pay for all of our infrastructure. Um, we expect at least a $10 million investment. Uh, they'll manage all of our telecommunication assets, provide us that free cellular services, as we talked about, for private uses. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we think it's a good deal for both of us. So it's a little bit different twist on the, the landlord pays kind of model. So I've been keeping a number of my friends in the industry um, sort of in the loop on what we're doing with that. But I think that'll be interesting and groundbreaking. All right, Michael, uh, back to you. Yep, coming on there. There we go. <laughs> All right, awesome. Yeah, that's great, Michael. Thank you very much. And uh, Michael is actually uh, the second Michael uh, beside myself that is going to be on the RealCom webinar series today. Uh, so we're going to have a little bit of fun with that. Uh, that was a great, great presentation, great use cases um, and, and understanding how you were able to overcome some of those things. Let me ask you this. Um, if you were to compare CBRS and Wi-Fi, um, which one's better and why? <laughs> well, so I mean, maybe I'm a little biased. I mean, I've rolled out like Wi-Fi throughout fleets of shopping malls and things like that. Um, I definitely think the cellular is better for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's more secure. You know, essentially with the SIM architecture and the 3GPP, which is the security standard and communication standard, um, you have essentially hardware encryption between the device and the access point. Um, so it's not, you know, people talk about, oh, well, can't they spoof your cell phone? That's That went away a few years ago when they updated the uh, 3GPP standards. So today there's really nothing more secure than a mobile handset going to a cellular radio. Um, the, the other piece of it, well, one, we mentioned the uh, inevitable um, inexpensive implementations of cellular that are coming. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like the, the other key thing that we, we forget about is that with the cellular, um, you have this uh, ability to have these very low latency connections, all these different use cases that with Wi-Fi, you're not, you know, with an eSIM, I'm going to log into the network once. I'm never going to have to change my password. I'm never going to have to, you know, try to distribute everyone what's the new guest password. I essentially shoot a QR code. In about a minute, I'm activated on that private network, and I never have to go through that process again. So I think there's a number of uh, compelling things, both use cases, convenience, and security that uh, are the end of the day going to win out. There'll always be use cases, I think, for some Wi-Fi, um, but they'll become less and less compelling. Just my I, Is that maybe shifting um, from the standpoint of a building owner operator? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier in my introduction, you know, the interference that could potentially come with Wi-Fi, uh, especially with competing frequencies and tenants bringing in in a multi-tenant environment. Um, I think so. There's some technical capabilities, I think, that perhaps what I'm hearing you say is more advantageous uh, and a, yet another reason for CBRS to be more popular. Yeah, well, and it's license spectrum, right? Even the uh, CBRS general available, you know, GAA spectrum, which can be used by anyone, is really considered to be license spectrum. And so, you know, things can't come in the building. Um, 
guess what? You're not likely to get interference from other cellular radios within your buildings, and they're not going to leak out by the same token. So. Yeah, that's great. And uh, having uh, being a resident of the Detroit area, I'm very familiar with getting a uh, a notification on my bill that I've been charged ten dollars for roaming to Canada when all I did was go downtown and eat. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah, that's I, I used to run GM's infrastructure 20 years ago, and that was the biggest complaint is people would be, because they're right on the river, they'd yeah. be getting these huge bills from Verizon, because back then it was uh, $20 a megabyte for data. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, those are always fun. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, sure. I, we'll, we'll hook back up a little bit later in the series here. That's great. Thank you very okay. much. And uh, now I'd like to take a moment and uh, introduce Clint Osteen from uh, Granite Properties. Uh, Clint is a senior director of IT and is responsible for directing Granite's information services and telecommunications across the portfolio. Uh, prior to joining Granite, Clint spent 10 years in consulting, providing commercial real estate companies, technology, and business improvement services. Uh, man after my own heart. Uh, that's something that I kind of focus on right now. So, uh, you know, it's gonna be an interesting use case to talk about today. Clint, thank you very much for, uh, for coming here today. Looking forward to it. All right, good deal. Um, so we're going to be talking today about Midtown Union, uh, which is a great, I think, uh, a really good use case, uh, not just because uh, my company worked with your company on helping, you know, stand it up and everything. Um, so we're a little bit familiar with it, but I think it's a it's a good example of a multi, a true multi-use facility, right? Um, you've got 26 floors of office space. You've got retail You've got a hotel, you've got an art gateway, a pedestrian gateway going through there. So the, there's a ton of different use cases that would come through um, for wireless and, and for having that uh, amped up. Can you tell me a little bit about what some of those use cases were going into that development? Sure. It, it was, it, you forgot the apartments too. So Oh, the apartments. apartments. Yeah, the apartment, the residential. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's yeah, residential, sorry. hotel, and the office tower. And interestingly enough, uh, when that project kicked off, we had a pre-lease and one of the, this is the first tenant requirement or customer requirement we had in a new development for DAS. So we'll start with the DAS side uh, for DAS. And of course the, the, the hotel and the, as part of that, we did a study in the area and as a lot of urban dense areas, you find that cellular coverage is not great. Uh, you know, for, for, for those that aren't technical, the, the big problem that, you know, f that we were told about is you're getting bombarded with too much signal. And as a result, you have uh, not a great experience, right? So our focus is on that customer experience. So as a result, you know, it was a pretty easy sell with our partners on both the hotel and the residential side to put in a uh, multi-carrier DAS system with a single head in uh, that we all share. Uh, as a result, you know, it, you know, couple of things that, that played into this that you know gotcha, so to speak, are you know the carriers aren't participating in these anymore, right? And so the trick becomes who pays for it, uh, and there is a component where you know. All, all of us as partners, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we get that to come back in? Because you can't just raise rents to cover the cost of these things. It ends up becoming uh, part of the operating expense of, of all these 
these assets. So uh, each resident pays, you know, in the residential tower, there is a small fee for participation in the DAS to be in that tower. Uh, in, in our office tower, it's part of our operating expenses. So the customers share in those expenses. So it's not all on the building owner. Uh, and for us, for me specifically, we're not staffed to maintain these systems. And so, you know, as we were developing the building and getting into, you know, how do we do this? We had to make sure we partnered with someone that was going to maintain these systems and own them and upgrade them and deal with everything uh, throughout the life of the building and specifically the life of the customers kind of driving that need. Uh, and that's really on the DAS side. And, and interestingly enough, that since that project, which that building opened uh, late last year, uh, we have had, and for us, we, we're, we're in Southern United States, primarily Dallas, Austin, or Dallas, Houston, Denver, Atlanta, and then Southern California. We have not had a lot of customer or tenant requirements for DAS. Most of our buildings are new, or newer vintage. Uh, we're in suburban locations where there, you don't see DAS systems in competitive or competitive set. Uh, but in a post-COVID world, what we're seeing is this flight to quality that you hear about all the time in the news. And part of that flight to quality is experience. And so we're seeing that our customers are walking into the building and they're going, you know, what's my experience on my cell phone from the time I drive into the garage up to my suite and walking around my suite? And they're asking to partner now, not just, you know, saying, building owner, what are you going to do about it? They're saying, you know, how can we solve this problem together? Uh, and, you know, from my perspective and my opinion is that, you know, I think it's something that, you know, we can all share in that cost and it not just be the burden of the building owner to put in this capital, you know, to spend a bunch of capital on these systems. Because as we all know, you know, like any technology, two weeks after you put it in, you know, something's got to be updated, replaced, fixed, uh, and then, you know, in two years, it's all got to be upgraded. And so there's a big maintenance component to this that, you know, those outside of technology don't care about. They just want it to work. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so since that building, though, I've had, we've had three other buildings rapidly come back around and say, we need to add this. Uh, and so from, you know, this is something I've been exploring for probably 10 years because we, we were never in markets where the carriers were going to pay for this. So it's always going to be on our nickel. And uh, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And now that we're getting to this point where the costs are aligning and you can do this not as a capital cost, but as an operating expense, uh, the cost to our customers is pretty minimal. Uh, you know, on a, on a, in a multi-tenant build, multi tenant building where you have, you know, 10,000 square foot tenant, the cost of, you know, the monthly cost to DAS isn't much more, isn't a whole lot more than, you know, two or three, you know, cellular accounts for, for an entire space. And as we were discovering in some of our buildings, we've got where our customers have put in their own systems, 
Well, if you end up with two or three with their own systems and they happen to be close to each other, they start to interfere with each other, which then makes the experience even worse. And, that, and that's what I was going to ask you if you'd experienced that in the past with people bringing in their own systems, right? And having that compete. And not just that is, you know, it's the life cycle of the building too. If a tenant leaves, is it in the lease that they have to take that equipment out or does it get left, you know, in some of the legacy services? So being able to provide, you know, as a, if I were to occupy uh, an apartment or a tenant space when I used to, uh, I would pay a little premium uh, to have a better experience, right? Uh, especially in today's age when majority of people work from home, obviously, clearly that's where I am today. Um, <laughs> being able to have that, you know, that, that capability, uh, that convenience, that comfort uh, that comes from being able to have good communications all across the board. And, and I want to point out uh, one to expand a little bit upon that. So the investment that you made uh, in that particular instance, your experience was so good that that provided an additional impetus and use case to roll it out to several other buildings in your portfolio in a similar fashion? Partly. Partly, it's just, I think, a greater demand. And so the structure that we put in place to make it work in that building was one that uh, us and all of our partners got comfortable with. Uh, again, where it wasn't 100% on us as the owner to fund this. Uh, and as a result, it suddenly opened the door for other sites to come in. And, you know, I've always told our operations team, you know, go ask, go ask our customers, would this be something they would be willing to participate in? And there's always been a hesitation with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm seeing that hesitation uh, go away. Uh, we just, as a matter of fact, I, we have a very large asset that we're in the process right now. We've got some big customers and uh, they were talking about Daz in their construction meetings. And we had a conversation with them and we started talking to them. And sure enough, we've got, you know, the three or four largest customers in that building are all going, we would love to partner with you on this. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we were going to put this in ourselves. We were going to deal with this ourselves. We would much rather you kind of facilitate it and put it put something in that works for all of us. Nice. And, yeah, we're, happy, does, and we're happy to pay. That's the yeah. key thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the other key piece, right? Is being able to have that funding. Uh the, the days of, you know, and it, having been in communications myself for over 20 years, uh, especially coming from healthcare environment and then in the built environment and, and higher ed and all over the place, I've noticed that the the communications requirement has always been there. Mobility is always kind of the next gen thing, right? It started in the 2000s. Um, and that was simple because companies would say, okay, I'm gonna buy my people a cell phone so that they can stay connected and allow that to do their jobs. I'm gonna invest in the infrastructure in my buildings to make sure that they can continue use of that. Uh, and then that paradigm shift happened, right? So it, then it was a single source carrier paying for the opportunity because now not only is it gonna cost me to put in the infrastructure, I'll pay for that because I'm going to get a thousand phones, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get a thousand right. contracts on phones. When that, when the BYOD things hit, that's when you started to see uh, the, that whole shift in how that coverage was going to be provided in the buildings. And so in the late, probably what, 2010s, um, that was when it was started to become, okay, the carriers aren't going to put in DAS for you and pay for it. Um, you have to put it in yourself. So it became kind of a field of dreams concept, right? Like if you build it, they will come. Right. But that wasn't necessarily always the case either. Right. So have you 
have you been playing with a little bit of um have you got are you contemplating cbrs are you getting into that market do you see the use cases in your property portfolio yet it's tough as a real estate investor you know our hold periods aren't you know we're not going to hold these buildings indefinitely and so i you know my concern a couple of things with cbrs cbrs was was cost to install and then the long-term maintenance and yeah. structure you know if we're not going to own the building long term will the next owner you know what what's going to be their view of crbs are you going to get a payback on that investment now i know I, I guess you could own it long term but that's not our core business so I, you know right now we don't see that as something that that works for us i know a lot of other owners are, are going down that road and i i don't think you know, it may work for others, but it doesn't work for us as a, you know, in the markets we're in and the type of assets and the way we're doing our investing. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that because it's it's an important thing to point out. It's still subjectively applied to your portfolio, right? The technologies exist. You have to find a means to be able to pay for it and you have to find a good business case for it. Uh, and sometimes that just doesn't exist. Um, and yeah, and then you find alternative means that do exist. So you can provide a similar like experience for your tenants. No, that's great. Thank you very much, Clint. I really appreciate the time here. And sure. uh, we're going to circle back with you a little bit later in the episode. Okay. And uh, now I'd like to uh, <clears throat> to invite uh, Matt Tyree, who is the VP of Sales from Spot On Networks, uh, to come on board here. He's got about 10 years of experience in the wireless industry in a variety of sales and operations leadership positions. Uh, his experience in In our newer deployments. 
So first and foremost, uh, when talking about managed Wi-Fi, our first and most important use case is the residents and tenants. However, over the last few years with multiple initiatives such as ESG, we're seeing a rise in IoT type deployments. Uh, one of the most common type of deployments that we see today is some sort of smart building strategy working with utility or energy costs. According to the DOE, uh, specifically Energy Star, energy costs can make up a third of building budgets and energy production in buildings make up 20% of the nation's annual greenhouse gas emissions. So the common response from owner operators is to deploy IoT type devices across the property to monitor, maintain, and effectively reduce those emissions and energy costs. But we run into the common problem of how do we connect those devices? In buildings, there are lots of ways to connect devices, CBRS, Wi-Fi, local types of RS, such as 900 megahertz, Bluetooth low energy, Zigbee, et cetera. However, Wi-Fi provides a ton of flexibility because you can utilize it to solve for the resident use case, the laptops, the phones, the in-unit connectivity, but also parlay that into smart building infrastructure for other applications. Now, deploying Wi-Fi can be very cost-effective when done right and actually reduces the overall wiring costs in a building. So, for example, if you deploy an individual Wi-Fi network across the entire property, you can utilize that same infrastructure for multiple other use cases. So if you want to deploy a smart thermostat initiative, you don't need to rewire your building after the fact. I'll talk about a few examples and some few use cases that we've done in a future slide. But whenever you're looking at a Wi-Fi deployment in a multi-tenant space, it is very, very important you're working with an organization that factors in the design. There were issues discussed earlier around RF, that's very important to take advantage of, as well as the ongoing management that, of that infrastructure once you put it in place. And that's what we at Spot On Networks do. So this slide actually gives you a visualization of a tree of the infrastructure that goes into any CRE building. So the bottom of the tree represents the roots or the fiber infrastructure, the connectivity or backhaul or bandwidth, as well as the fiber infrastructure going up and down the vertical risers of the building. It's very important that infrastructure is in place. Almost every new construction we have has robust infrastructure. However, once you move up that infrastructure into the trunk of the tree, it's important that whatever infrastructure is deployed, specifically access points, controllers, switching, other endpoint devices is intelligently designed and put in place to stand up that network reliably. Don't want the trunk of the tree breaking and your network falling down. Now, once that infrastructure is in place, it's important that you work with somebody whether it's your in-house IT or a third party such as Spot On Networks, to configure that network in a way that securely partitions every individual use case and or end device in a secure way. Spot On Networks typically utilizes uh, virtual local area networks or VLANs to securely partition individual use cases. So in a multi-tenant space, that's very common individual resident units, individual types of devices, specific prop tech or IoT applications like EV chargers, smart thermostats, sensors, et cetera. And then most importantly for a network, when you put an infrastructure in place in a multi-tenant environment is you account for the leaves or the end devices that are gonna be connecting to the network. You need to make sure that the infrastructure that's in place can reliably support the traffic and number of connected devices that are going to be seen in a multi-tenant space. Once upon a time, most units in a residential perspective had one, maybe two or three connected devices, a computer and a couple phones. 
Now we're often seeing 10, 12, or 14 connected devices per individual residential unit, and that doesn't even account the building's requirements for different PropTech and IoT devices. So it's incredibly important that when you're looking at any sort of in-building wireless deployment, you're focusing on not just one application, but all types of internet applications that are going to be using up that spectrum, that bandwidth, that backhaul that exists in the property, and that infrastructure can support that with room to grow. So here are a few use cases uh, of some multi-tenant buildings. I, I'm going to focus in on the San Francisco example, um, but they are fairly comparable. Uh, it's important that when we, when we engage with an owner-operator partner from a managed Wi-Fi perspective, we typically start the conversation at their resident side. What type of experience do you want your residents to have when they're connecting into the Wi-Fi infrastructure? It could be as simple as where do you want them to connect, how fast do they want them to connect. But we always try to broaden the conversation because Wi-Fi has a ton of utility when it is deployed well in a multi-tenant space to be able to provide that infrastructure for lots of other types of applications to fundamentally reduce the cost for an owner operator so they're not building parallel networks for individual use cases. So in the San Francisco example, it's a 35 story building, a little over 400 units. First and foremost, we set up a property wide network which provided amenity data networks. And then we also turned on Wi-Fi calling. Wi-Fi calling is a feature which is enabled in all Android as well as Apple handsets today that reliably moves over cellular traffic for voice and SMS onto the Wi-Fi network seamlessly. Most people connect with Wi-Fi calling and don't even realize it. If you look at your handset, you'll see on the top right you have Wi-Fi bars. It usually means your text and voice calls are going over Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi calling is a fantastic way to actually resolve in building cellular um, as was mentioned earlier, in-building cellular is progressively becoming more and more of a problem as 5G networks are deployed on higher frequencies as they don't penetrate building materials well. Wi-Fi calling, if in place, will remove that issue. And then we also use our Wi-Fi infrastructure and partner with our owner operators to use that for other applications. So in the San Francisco example, these properties are deploying smart thermostats, which are Wi-Fi connected. They're deploying EV charging stations underneath the building in the subterranean area that are Wi-Fi connected. They also have Wi-Fi connected fitness equipment. And then also that infrastructure is in place for any future use cases that come up. Smart Wi-Fi is not just the Wi-Fi modules. It's also if they need uh, ethernet connections in, we consolidate that all into our infrastructure. We see a wide variety of use cases today, but the most important factor is, is that that infrastructure is in place and it is future proof. It's not a scenario where you deploy a smart Wi-Fi deployment for Wi-Fi calling and all of a sudden two years later AT&T changes the 5G frequencies and you need to redeploy that, that solution. Wi-Fi calling has longevity. Once it's in place it doesn't necessarily matter how the frequencies change externally. Wi-Fi calling will work well for the residents in a multi-tenant space. So once you actually put infrastructure in place uh, the common question we have from owner operators, as both Clint and Michael mentioned, is how do you monetize that? How do you take that off the, the, the cost and put it into a revenue driver? And monetizing amenities, specifically around the Wi-Fi front, is something that we have done many times with many partners across the country. This is an example of a high-rise in New Jersey. We put in a property-wide managed Wi-Fi network for amenity data services, as well as Wi-Fi calling, and it is also supporting an energy, monitor, uh, energy monitoring solution. 
Um, once that network was in place, we were able to then offer opt-in retail primary data services to the residents of the building in which we actually profit share with the operator to functionally offset the cost of that infrastructure over a five-year term. Creative ways of monetizing infrastructure and offsetting the cost impacts to owner operators is incredibly important in today's environment. And that's something that we at Spot On Networks take very seriously. So with all these types of depletions being deployed, uh, specifically in the IoT world, it's incredibly important to mention that IoT devices do not work if they don't have reliable connectivity. And Spot On Networks with our managed Wi-Fi deployments or our cellular DAS deployments, it's incredibly important that it's managed. It's more than just equipment. Once you install equipment, it's critically important to do real-world testing. So that includes the architecture, the RF environment, that includes recurring visits on a, a monthly, quarterly, or yearly basis to update said RF environment. And then once that network's in place, you need to monitor it proactively and have metrics and SLAs or KPIs to keep that network where it needs to be. That's something that we at Spot On Networks do for our owner-operator partners. Try that again. <laughs> well, now you can actually hear me, right? Um, yeah, I think you brought up a lot of really good points on that, Matt. I greatly appreciate that presentation there. The um, I cut my my teeth on wireless back in 2003 in healthcare, and it started with a couple of forward-thinking doctors that wanted to have mobility uh, be the key be the key piece here. Um, but you know, it's Wi-Fi is you bring up a couple number of really good use cases there because Wi-Fi is is an extension of a wired infrastructure, right? And so while it's meant to be mobility, but it is also some fixed asset things uh, like IoT sensors and things, those aren't really moving around. Those are fixed in the in the building that you're putting in your Wi-Fi. Um, so what are let me ask you, what are some of the some of the main items that an owner should consider when deploying um, or evaluating a wireless technology to deploy? It's a great question, Michael. First and foremost, uh, it's the applications. So. If you're solving for cellular coverage, you need to understand that, well, maybe I can use that same infrastructure, maybe managed Wi-Fi from a Wi-Fi calling perspective to solve for cellular, but then parlay that into additional services that can be monetized. The second thing that's really important is quality of experience, right? So you need to understand what your end user and what those end users are that are connecting to the internet, and they're usually a mix of people and things. So you need to understand what type of experience those people and things need to have on whatever solution you deploy. Yeah, that's great. Are you, uh, in, in, and I'm wondering too, you know, as it becomes that extension of the infrastructure and, and, you know, if you can use, you have to know what it is that you're using it for, right? In order to make sure that it's the correct application. Um, but if I have a, like say a brownfield deployment, like what's a cost effective way to address installing a Wi-Fi system in something that already exists? That's a fantastic question. And we like to say that every existing brownfield is a snowflake, depending on when it was built and who managed and who acquired. Uh, so there are a host of new solutions that have been rolled out in the last few years to do one of two things. One, cost effectively utilize existing twisted pair, coax, et cetera, wiring and modernize that to get gig connectivity. 
So it's not necessarily a rip and replace, it's just an augment, which is a very cost-effective and non-intrusive way to get gigabit connectivity throughout the building. And there's also been a, a number of different millimeter wave technologies that have been deployed. We at Spot on Networks, we actually look at every single building uniquely. We put our engineers together and we propose a way to get the network in place based off the application and the QoE I mentioned earlier. Great, so a lot of thoughtful engineering goes into uh, or a lot of thoughtfulness goes in prior to engineering the solution, right? Is, is determining how and what those approaches would be. So you're really taking that into consideration for your clients. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Matt. I would, uh, I really appreciated the presentation and the insight there. And we'll bring you back on in just a little bit. Thank you so much. And now I'd like to uh, make an introduction video here for uh, Corning. All right, wonderful. And uh, I'd like to bring on at this time, uh, Michael Foss, uh, our third Michael of the call, <laughs> uh, VP of Mobility at Vision Technologies for Corning. Uh, Michael is Bixie certified R RCDD and TPMA certified wireless project manager with over 35 years experience in the wired and wireless industries. As the vice president of mobility at Vision Technologies, Michael oversees technical offerings, including DAS, public safety, Wi-Fi, network practices, um, across the board so it's fantastic uh michael thank you very much for for being here today really appreciate it thank you michael i appreciate it uh yeah there's definitely a lot of michaels on the call uh just a quick introduction you know to further what you were stating about vision technologies um, vision technologies although they started primarily as an infrastructure company in 2000 uh, they quickly spun up several practice areas all of which include the corning infrastructure in several different ways our AV department, so everything you would see in traditional conference rooms, large format displays, digital signage, um, our two infrastructure practices encompassing commercial enterprise, as well as the data center space, and our physical security practice, so card key access, cameras, um, and our pro services department, um, I like to call butts and seats, you know, outsourced to several entities, and then my department, the wireless um, development of Wi-Fi, DAS, public safety, uh, everything that encompasses the connectivity of all of our business units, as well as you know, the cornerstone in the cellular DAS environment. So wrapping up with Corning uh, across all of our technologies, uh, whether it's in the AV connectivity space or data center infrastructure space for high strand count fiber, uh, we feel very well positioned um, in the future development of, of other technologies and have experienced that recently. I'll go over that um, in our use case. So a little bit about the active DAS architecture and one of the reasons we've selected uh, Corning and specifically the new Everon platform has been, you know, their, their parlay into several aspects um, in cellular DAS, specifically active uh, DAS architecture with fiber to the edge technology. And whether, whether you're utilizing 
uh, low power remotes at the endpoints, uh, DC powered with fiber connectivity, uh, or mid power and high power remotes for specific use cases in larger areas. Uh, Cornyn is very well positioned to include all frequencies available currently and future for the carriers uh, into these multi-use facilities, uh, single-use facilities, et cetera, whether it's a, a small garage uh, where you're simply having to cover the underground areas all the way up to very large stadiums and, and other venues. In our use case quickly, uh, I've chosen one Congress um, as, as my use case because uh, it is ongoing. Uh, and you know, one of our, our highlights or spotlights with our Corning partnership. We're in the final stages of completing the cellular DAS for car properties uh, at One Congress. Uh, One Congress, just informational, is the largest building in downtown Boston since 1984 uh, when the World Trade Center was completed. Uh, so it's very important um, marquee building for, for the area at 600 feet and over a million square feet. Um, it is definitely an addition to the skyline. Uh, during a lengthy and highly competitive RFP process, which included fiber to the edge in the RFP uh, for a cellular distributed antenna system, uh, Vision met all the requirements as awarded the project for the landmark building. Um, and there were many challenges that occurred during the initial interviews, uh, as well as the alterations of the RFP, including removing to the fiber, edge, fiber to the edge requirements, uh, which resulted in numerous iterations uh, from our competition uh, in the review process. Uh, Vision worked uh, with Corning uh, as our preferred partner throughout the entire process, uh, and they stood by us, um, you know, resulting in the award as, as we were challenged during those interviews. Um, some of the other competition was proposing twisted pair to the edge, uh, traditional coaxial infrastructure to the edge, and although it may have been or appeared to be less expensive, uh, with the advents that we experienced uh, in the property, uh, resulted that, that Corning would have been the least expensive option. Um, after all. So once it was awarded and we began finalizing the designs and our most importantly our carrier submittals, uh, during the process uh, Verizon responded and requesting that C-band frequencies be included uh, in our design. And while it was not in the RFP or the initial solution, Vision worked with Corning to revise the design and that then new Corning Neveron 6200 platform uh, was the obvious choice replacing the Corning 1 system. Um, that supported you know, all aspects of C-band um, for the then available 100 megahertz in the N2 um, solution and eventually the N3 remote that supports all 200 megahertz of the carrier frequencies. So with the fiber to the edge throughout the facility, Vision was confident that the DAS um, would be technology agnostic and future ready. Uh, with commitments from carriers, Vision has completed the vertical and horizontal cabling infrastructure, uh, as well as the, the active components um, from Corning and the Everon 6200 um, infrastructure. Uh, the occupied four floors uh, when they opened were served with a temporary signal source while the carriers installed their permanent solution. And the ongoing support by Corning and Vision's demands for excellence has made the cellular DAS project a success, encompassing the latest technologies, uh, the best installation practices, and the entire project will remain a spotlight for cellular, te cellular technology for many years to come. If the slides will advance. Having some difficulty advancing the slides, Mr. McMahon. Uh, let's see if we can help you out here. This is really a, a quick discussion and, and one of my final slides anyways. It really talks about the, the benefits of, of 5G 
and specifically the Corning Neveron 6200 products. Uh, what it offers is enhanced capacity, massive connectivity, and lower latency uh, across all spectrums. So while the cellular DAS supports all existing carrier frequencies from 700 through 2100, 2300, and 2500, it also supports the full um, C-band suite uh, in the three gig spectrum. Um, so just educational more than anything for those that didn't know uh, or, or weren't aware, 5G represents you know, the future of data connectivity initially uh, for the carriers offloading uh, the requirements of, of the 4G infrastructure uh, so that it can focus on voice while 5G is further developed. Uh, and you know, as with when 4G was developed, uh, it was primarily data overlay for 3G. Uh, 5G is acting in the same way. And we're actively waiting for um, the, the next iteration of that in 6G. You know, we thought 4G LTE long-term evolution was gonna last a little bit longer. Um, but we've seen in several other use cases uh, across the board uh, that you know C-band is being required by carriers. And although it's more difficult to design, uh, having to put ghost radios in our IB wave um, propagation tools um, because there is not a out, outdoor C-band in all areas, um, it we can't overcome it. Uh, one of the cornerstones of Vision Technologies offering is our connectivity and monitoring. Uh, offering. This was grown agnostically in Vision, uh, started a number of years ago, and really encompasses the entire spectrum of IoT, uh, being able to monitor a CBRS, a Wi-Fi, a cellular DAS, public safety DAS, as well as other aspects um, within our portfolio for security and AV. Uh, a single pane of truth, we call it, a single pane of glass, uh, that doesn't replace uh, a IoT system from Schneider or Honeywell or Genetech, uh, really augments that, showing the customer uh, or end user exactly what they need to see with those um, infrastructure details, but also the capability of drilling down uh, by clicking on uh, either the lo their logo to access our customer portal to enter tickets manually or post questions, but also being able to click on the manufacturer logo and get directly into that graphical interface uh, for better management. All right, uh, that's all I have. Uh, Mike, uh, any questions? No, that's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, just a couple of questions. Uh, yeah, look, again, you've hit on a lot of different points. You come from a varied background uh, with a lot of different technologies mixed in. So you kind of run the gambit, right? You know, I understand the public safety piece coming into play as well. Uh, it's very, been very important over the last couple of years. Uh, but let me ask you, what are, what are some of the advances that you've seen over the last few years? And, and how has that impacted uh, your customers for cellular DAS? Well, with, with cellular DAS, uh, it's very focused. We're offering, you know, licensed carriers uh, frequencies. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that's changed as other of the panelists have talked to is the advent that, you know, where a carrier used to pay for a DAS in a building uh, and then the neutral host model with American Tower, Crown Castle, Mobility, SBA, Tillman more recently, um, you know, that neutral host environment. Uh, where they were expecting payment from all of the carriers and in some cases successful dependent on the venue. Uh, but also what we've seen is a shift more recently since the carriers spent literally billions on the C-band frequency rights, uh, we've seen the carriers uh, fund less and less. And more recently, I think that um, we've experienced where carriers are not even funding their signal source in a lot of cases, um, adding you know hundreds of thousands of dollars for particular venues um, to the price of a DAS, and it's not known, you know, as in, in one of the initial slides, you know, you can't make the carriers join, and it's up to them uh, whether you know how they participate and whether they participate or not. So several of our customers has looked have looked to other um, technologies such as Wi-Fi calling 
Uh, we've been very successful in you know, some models for examples like Howard Hughes uh, introducing Wi-Fi calling. Uh, but also CBRS, and that's really dependent on the use case. Uh, we don't think Wi-Fi is going to go away anytime soon. It has intrinsic um, adaptations and acceptance uh, throughout the industry. Uh, but CBRS really offers that private network where you don't want that traffic on the public uh, switched infrastructure with the carriers, and you don't want it on the shared infrastructure with Wi-Fi. We see that more in critical uh, use cases in manufacturing, uh, robotics, uh, warehousing, uh, where a lot of these autonomous vehicles are actually picking boxes to be delivered, uh, but then also in healthcare, uh, where you know mission critical applications as such as patient care are are dependent on that bandwidth and, and availability. Um, so those are the types of changes we've seen, uh, but I think most critical is the carriers' participation in DAS and getting them into these buildings that we build out and people are paying so much money for. No, that makes sense. Yeah, and how i guess let's talk a little bit about more about your delivery methodology as well is there an advantage to a customer um that has an existing or planned fiber to the edge type strategy oh sure um you know i you know, again my my experience spans you know way back into the 80s i'll date myself but uh you know some of the networks that i installed um personally uh in new york city for example um at a, a private college uh, that they chose fiber to the edge very early when 10 megabits was the fastest land connectivity that anybody could expect. And they're still using that fiber today uh, without having to replace the infrastructure. So when you take that step now and you're installing an infrastructure a backbone to support multiple technologies, you know, fiber is the obvious choice. Uh, extending that um, into cellular DAS, into Wi-Fi applications as technology is kind of caught up to that fiber to the edge advantage, um, the, the possibilities are endless. Um, SD-LAN by Corning is a prime example uh, where we can simplify that network utilization, simplify the IP scheme and management for an endpoint user uh, by reducing the number of IP addresses, uh, reducing the management infrastructure. Uh, it's a passive optical network, uh, if you will, um, that you know previously was owned by other companies, but the SD-LAN advantage, um, whether it's connecting into a DAS, connecting into a Wi-Fi infrastructure, an AV infrastructure, um, you know, the, the bandwidth possibilities are endless and it's definitely the way to go. So you're seeing a lot of that, um, you know, your mention of having installed that fiber years ago and they're still using it today, uh, taking advantage of that fiber to the edge strategy with the active electrified components now uh, coming down in price, making it a little, lot more attractive, I'm assuming. Um, sure. But again, it's future proof in your building, right? If you were right. to kind of go down that route. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll use another use case quickly. Um, when we were first designing the cellular DAS replacement for the United States Senate, uh, our initial design included six strands of fiber to the edge and four copper conductors to power those endpoints on the DAS. Uh, the carriers came back and asked for 24 strands of fiber to the edge. We're talking 1,800 endpoints uh, across 5 million square feet where the carriers were asking for that fiber because they know uh, where the technology is going, whether it's millimeter wave in specific areas or other advanced use cases. Um, we see a shift in carriers starting to present CBRS or private LTE, private 5G, um, as part of their offering into buildings. And, you know, owning that spectrum is going to require a fiber-rich or fiber-deep environment. Oh, that's outstanding. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate the time here and, and gaining some more of that insight into the product line. Uh, I, at this time, I think I'd like to bring everybody back online, uh, all of our panelists together, and remind everybody in the audience that if you have any questions or comments, please, by all means, uh, feel free to put them in the chat. 
Uh, I'd like to make this as interactive as possible. These folks have given up their time here to be here today to try to answer some of your questions and, you know, share some stories and some examples and whatnot. We want to hear from you about your examples, your questions, et cetera. Um, so I guess I, I, the first question that I do have for the panel, uh, now that we're all back together again, I asked it of Matt um, in taking a look at, you know, what are the, the strategies, right? So we hear about the different technologies, the, the key pieces that I'm trying to figure out and I think a lot of people are, is where do I start, right? It's a subjectively, it's a subjective question. Who am I? Uh, what are my use cases? So as an owner, did you start down that path or did you bring in outside help? And, I, and I'd like to kind of throw that at Michael and uh, Clint here, um, particularly between Granite and Bedrock, you know, did you educate, did you educate your staff? Did you educate yourselves? What, how did that journey begin um, when you had to address these types of things? Start, yeah, sure. Uh, partners, you know, we, we, we had to get with partners uh, like you guys at Newcomb and Boyd with uh, care. We, we, we have relationships with the carriers. So educating ourselves with the carriers uh, and then integration partners. Uh, you know, we're, we're a pretty small technology staff. Uh, and our leasing and development teams as we get in operations teams as we get into this are all run pretty lean and so uh you know we we don't have that knowledge in-house so we're definitely having to work with uh, a gamut of partners on how to do this yeah you know and i'll just say you know a lot of these issues have been around for a decade or more and uh you know in 2012, it was, you know, how do I get free Wi-Fi to all my shoppers in a shopping mall? And how do I pay for it with energy management or something else? Um, and, you know, it's just kind of gone from there. And, uh, you know, again, rely on partners, um, conferences that we've been to, to really keep, uh, keep on top of, uh, you know, the technologies. And a lot of it's about really understanding what the requirements are that you're going for. It's it's easy, as you probably all know, just to get involved with technology for technology's sake. But it's got to be, you know, it's really got to be driven by the requirements of the business, the tenants, you know, shoppers, retailers, whoever it is that, uh, you know, you're trying to serve. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Um, Second question, and, and I kind of wanted to touch on this. It's kind of it's a little bit controversial, um, but you know, buildings and things that go in buildings produce data, right? That's that's what a lot of uh, people are going towards now with the, with a smart building and intelligent building. You're not making your building smart; you're making your people smart about your buildings, right? Um, and if you can get that data out, it has value. Um, and these networks produce a certain form of data uh, on terms of usage and things like that. Um, are you seeing any of that come about? Uh, is that a concern when you're deploying some of these types of wireless networks is, is how to capture some of that usage data, what you can do with it? Um, is that a particular use case that you considered? Well, I think kind of, you know, back to the previous question, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, understanding the rules, um, understanding what it is you're trying to do with it. You know, we, I've done in my career a lot with uh, data and analytics and stuff. And the hardest thing is actually getting your internal teams that are making decisions to consume the data you're trying to handle, right? Yeah, you know, how important is foot traffic to someone who's trying to sign uh, retail leases? You'd think it'd be really important, 
but that's not how they've grown up doing leasing deals, right? In some cases, they don't want people to know what their foot traffic is. So it's, you know, it's interesting. A lot of it is becomes even more interesting if you can take what you're generating with these kind of technologies and combine them with other things, whether it's cameras or um, parking data and to begin to draw additional insights. But, you know, it's really how much does the business understand and want to consume this versus, you know, how cool is it that I can produce a dashboard that tells us stuff. Yeah, but, you know, the, the visuals are always nice, but that's that's half the fuzzy part. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the reason I ask that, you know, you, you start to see that a long time ago, and that's kind of the, what the future was. Um, by, by leveraging the capability of connectivity to create census data, right? And census data can drive a lot of things. Um, I'm just kind of wondering if a, uh, if a company has BYOD policies and they, and they move in. So, the, and this is, you know, kind of moving out of the residential market, obviously, but moving more into the multi-threaded areas. Um, when that shift happened is the, how do you address the multi-carrier approach, right? So like, you know, being able to have a solution where let's say you have Verizon in the building or you have AT&T in the building, but not any of the others, um, has that negatively impacted your rollouts or or have you figure out ways to get around that? I think that's where kind of Wi-Fi calling kind of helps too is the, is the adoption of some of that. We're still early in that. Uh, I, I would tell you, you know, between AT&T and Verizon, they've got the bulk of market share. That being said, interestingly enough, we've had a requirement for T-Mobile in some sites. Uh, like I said, from my, my perspective, I think the best way to go about that is to uh, survey your customers and ask them, you know, who, who do you use, right? It starts with you know, one or two large customers saying, you know, we have an enterprise account with X carrier and that's who we want. But at the same time, we'd love to have multi-carrier, right? Uh, that's our requirement. And so that's kind of how we've, we've operated. Uh, you know, the largest, largest, loudest customer gets the, gets to kind of first say, but after that, you know, we try to make sure we cover everyone else as best we can. Uh, so that's that's kind of our approach. Yeah, I think I think the challenge that's kind of ahead of the carriers is what I'll call you know the PSTN mindset, you know, the public switch telephone network. The five nines, oh, we got to create complete the call, can't drop them. And we know in buildings that you know we're not making all those calls and they're dropping and all kinds of stuff today. And if you look at the list, you know, let's take someone like AT&T, maybe they've got 10,000 uh, buildings they want to do in building on their list of things they're going to do. They've got funding and resources to do 200 of them because they have this insistence going back to that PSTN days of, you know, we got to determine where every radio goes and we got to sign off and everything like that. Well, if you're able to do 200 a year and you got a list of 10,000, it's going to take you a while. And I think as we move from, you know, let's say thousands of DAS implementations where maybe they could do that or trusted partners do millions of buildings. You know, there's a, there's a whole piece of this that's, that's just going to break. And, you know, I think things like Wi-Fi calling, 
um, or you know, as I mentioned, you know, we've now got Wi-Fi calling over CBRS authentication. Um, the uh, you know, those are the ways to kind of get around that. I can go and put a radio anywhere I want, anywhere where I need coverage, without having anyone sign up and say, "Yep, you got it. That's okay. You can put it there. You can't put it there. Whatever." And uh, I can solve my problem, and I don't need to have anyone else sign off on me solving the issue I've got for my tenants. So. Yeah, that's a great point, Michael. Uh, you know, the time to, to time to market. You know, and to go back to Clint's original concept, uh, they had a lot of success. They figured out ways to fund it. Now they're going to roll it out to the next several buildings. I guess, Michael Foss, for you, um, you know, using the methodologies and the technology that you have, uh, how has the how has that enabled you to, or how has it impacted your designs um, to be able to, in timing for DAS builds? Like how how quickly can you usually do something? I know it's based on square footage and a number of factors, but sure. what does that look like for you? Yeah, and uh, you know, I think Matt uh, spoke to it well earlier, you know, understanding, you know, those initial interviews with your client about that particular space. Uh, if you're just designing Wi-Fi for data utilization, uh, that looks completely different than when you're designing for true Wi-Fi calling. Um, whether you're utilizing Aruba AirPass or one of the other technologies for that transition where any cell phone user with Wi-Fi turned on doesn't even have to join the Wi-Fi network in order to use it. Uh, those are great technologies and still developing. Um, but, you know, that handoff between Wi-Fi and cellular has still been difficult. Um, you know, as far as the timing goes for it, you know, it's we always advise everybody, whether it's Wi-Fi, CBRS or especially cellular, uh, because of the long lead times for carrier approvals and carriers bringing in their equipment, um, it's important to get in early. In the case of One Congress, my use case, um, we were involved and awarded the project before they broke ground, uh, which is really important. You know, it makes it difficult to do benchmark surveys, makes it difficult to, um, you know, forecast, you know, what the coverage is going to be with glass specifications and e-glass, what our penetration is going to be. Uh, but, you know, understanding that model, having, you know, done this for a number of years, uh, and how to model those things uh, is extremely important uh, and doing it early, understanding, you know, are you going to supplement this with Wi-Fi calling capabilities in a multi mixed use environment? Uh, it's very difficult to offer Wi-Fi calling because tenancy and residents are going to may have their own Wi-Fi if it's not part of their cam charges and included in the build out. And how is that going to interfere with your base building or amenity Wi-Fi? Um, so I don't think cellular is going anywhere. Uh, it's, you know, the carriers are kind of picking and choosing uh, exactly what venues, you know, they're going to fund and or uh, participate in um, because, you know, every carrier is offering Wi-Fi services, um, you know, even Comcast. People don't know if you have Comcast in your home, you're broadcasting a common Comcast uh, SSID that anybody outside your home can even jump onto using your bandwidth. Um, so I think the carriers are going to continue to develop their offering, uh, the timeliness of it. You know, I've seen anywhere from, you know, 30 day approval from a carrier with an opt in to participate uh, within a year. And I've seen some of these negotiations on the carrier contracts take upwards of two years plus. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. And, and Matt, on the uh, on the residential Wi-Fi side, I'm a big tech dork i've always been that way my wife hates me because she doesn't know what to call the lamp in the living room to have alexa turn it on right like that's the kind of stuff that i do and everything's connected over all the different frequencies that are out there um i'm kind of wondering too in the residential space are you starting to see an uptick between uh what what people are willing to do and put in apartments from a building ownership standpoint versus what people like a resident would want to have uh, in terms of smart technology in that space that goes over the wi-fi that's that's being provided in there 
uh, you know, like smart faucets and smart water shutoff valves and things of that nature? That's a fantastic question. And in the residential space, it, it really depends on the segment you're serving between class A, class B, affordable, et cetera, in terms of the types of things being deployed one by the property and then also from the resident and how that experience converges. So uh, we oftentimes have a conversation centered on thermostats as, as the benchmark use case. You know, think about that. You know, every resident in a single family home today is starting to get acclimated and familiar with the smart thermostat from a variety of different manufacturers. And those are usually connected on their home Wi-Fi network. Now that use case actually gets a little bit more complex in a multifamily residential situation because you say, hey, the property's providing those smart thermostats. The resident, when they're living there, needs access to the thermostat. They need to be able to access that application. But what happens when a resident's not, not there, that, that, that unit's being turned? Does that thermostat not have connectivity? Can they not manage their utilities remotely? So those type of convergence is something that we're seeing in every single type of deployment. And then other applications we're seeing that converge as well are things like smart refrigerators, thermostats, smart locks. Um, so we're seeing all sorts of things where it's both property and residential kind of mixed into one. And you need to be able to intelli intelligently design the access and security to support that in a Wi-Fi deployment. Yeah, that's the that's the true challenge, right? It's how do I give and facilitate the communication and connectivity, but doing it securely, right? Uh, you know, that's the same thing, Michael Osmond, you talked about uh, being able to securely connect to your CBRS network to do the Wi-Fi calling. Um, in the Wi-Fi area, being able to connect your devices and making sure in the background that you're able to allow those connections and bring the security to the edge. So similar to what you talked about, Michael Fox, Foss, with the uh, SD LAN, the, the software-defined local area networking, is really about having the capability of extending that service from the wireless edge, bringing it down to the wired side, but then applying that security all the way through uh, so that you can group those devices together. And I think that's the key to interoperability um, in a lot of these environments. And, and so it's funny because it's, it's, for me, a long time ago, it was just how do I operate my, my operational technology um, leveraging wireless? as opposed to, oh, it's an amenity, it's just the thing that would be nice to have if somebody could provide it, right? So like I mentioned before, my healthcare background with a couple of physicians that wanted to use a tablet uh, at one hospital on the fourth floor pediatric wing um, became, oh, now I'm gonna deploy uh, uh, 802.11 wireless phones throughout the entire property, 1.2 million square feet, when can you get it done, right? So now we're deploying wireless across, and I say, how many phones are you putting in? Oh, I don't know, probably just a couple. Well, it's, it's actually going to be a thousand. So now I have to accommodate and re-engineer and, you know, it's a constant maturity level. So, you know, it's it's that OPEX, uh, it's that maturity level, it's that growth, it's going back and, and managing the life cycle. And what I've heard today is that you've all got a really good approach to managing that life cycle because the introduction of technology um, makes that a very necessary thing. In, in a building, I put in a chiller, I put in an air handling unit. I have to think about it for 20 years, right? I can rinse and repeat and do the same thing over and over again, but you layer technology on top of the mechanics uh, or bring in some type of technology such as wireless, it does have to be maintained. There has to be that way um, that could make the building attractive, but then how about, how do you go about maintaining the operational aspect of it? Um, yeah, I think that's a great point because, you know, future-proofing any environment, you know, oftentimes all of us on this panel, 
uh, are involved in a project two years prior to it being occupied and specking in technology either that's flexible and can change over time or can adapt to the, those changes um, is very important. Uh, in the SD-LAN scenario, it's, it's great to have something in infrastructure that can support multiple technologies, whether it's television, phone, um, you know, Wi-Fi aspects, uh, hard hardline connectivity to other devices that need a, a hard connection. It's very important, you know, to have those things all tied back to a very scalable infrastructure. Yeah, and future proofing is a hard uh, hard thing to wrap my mind around. I I like future enabling. Uh, right. there, there may be future use cases and things that are coming down the pipe. I don't know what they are, but I do know, like when Newcomb and Boyd worked with Clint at uh, Midtown Union. At that building, we we took a look at what the art of the possible could be when you're designing, right, as you're going into this thing and say, I can predict X amount of growth. I can predict these systems that you may need in the future. So I'm going to make sure that you have the core infrastructure available to even support right. it uh, and make sure that you get that captured right before the ground is even broken, to your point. Um, in a brownfield deployment, you have to go back and answer, ask, you know, the hard questions. What do you really need to accomplish? What are you looking to provide? Um, to be able to make that decision to say, okay, how am I going to go forth and getting the funding for this? What am I really going to be providing? What am I asking for, right? How do I go to those partners, like you said, Clint, to be able to find that funding mechanism uh, to have them make it attractive to come on board and say, yes, this is something I can get behind. This is something I think is going to work in this environment. So, yeah, I think everybody's done a really good job of being able to bring that all together. Um, are there any questions from the audience? I don't see anything in the chat yet. Just wanted to kind of bring that up and see if there was any any input out there? Um, I've noticed our census is, uh, speaking of census, I noticed our census has kind of come down a little bit and uh, just want to see, nope, no questions from the audience yet, okay. Hey, hey um, Michael, one, one thing I'd ahead. like to say is we have a little bit of a unique situation at Bedrock, right? We own the Central Business District of downtown Detroit at buildings that were built in the 1870s all the way to, you know, big ones under construction right now. There's probably not half a dozen of those that anyone would ever want to put a DAS in. And so for us, if I'm looking at that, you know, 10,000 square foot building on two levels that was built in 1872, you know, how do I get great cellular coverage in there? And, and that's, you know, why, you know, we're really interested in CBRS is that scalability aspect of it. The fact that I can go into a building and put in a new system that will enhance the cellular with, you know, in that case, probably one radio and then connect it to the internet. And because my everything, all my uh, core network, uh, orchestration, all that stuff is cloud-based, I can put that radio in, plug it into the internet and it's live. And, uh, you know, for us, you know, that's just one of the, the key reasons we're maybe more interested in CBRS than a lot of folks. It's just that that flexibility that we end up with. Um, so whatever that's worth. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Michael. Thank you. Um, the the key to that again is subjectively applying the approach to your portfolio, right? What are what are the things and listening to what your client has for needs. Um, there's a certain amount, and, and it's the same approach that we take when we engage other clients. It's we have a, a, a simple approach that we can take with pretty much everything, but it's tailored, right? You have to figure out what works for me in that situation, what works for my client in that situation. Um, and you're right about the, you know being in those buildings in Detroit. Um, I was very excited to see that. And, and I know you guys have had a lot of success down there, especially when I was watching the uh, 
Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day Parade that was televised mm -hmm. uh, several years ago. And it was uh, one of the commentators remarked that it was the first time they actually showed the buildings along the road, not just mm -hmm. the floats and the people, but they were able to show the buildings because of the work Bedrock has done in that central business district and being able to um, really bring, bring it back and make it alive. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think, you know, just to tack on to what he was saying, CBRS is going to be a game changer. Um, you know, right now, not everybody's phone's capable of CBRS, but it's coming. Uh, everybody, the carriers will make everybody upgrade their phones to 5G and beyond. And, um, you know, CBRS is going to be a big um, player in that, um, you know, offering those things. Because right now, if you're only, you know, offering it to the 30 or 40 percent of people that have CBRS enabled phones, the authentication across that, managing that, uh, it could be difficult at times and offering Wi-Fi calling and that could supplement that as well. You know, we still lean heavily on DAS because it is compatible with everything that's out there and, and backwards compatible as well as forwards compatible. No, that's great. That's a really good point. Um, are any building engineers trying, um, like tying the business requirements um, to zero carbon reporting and in-building wireless? Are we seeing anything with uh, energy and sustainability goals along those lines? Absolutely. There's incentives that are out there for building owners to to cut down on their carbon footprint and their energy footprint. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of that as they implement IoT and space saving and energy saving uh, metrics in their monitoring systems of, you know, both their HVAC, uh, their intelligent lighting, shade control, all those factors come into play. To add on to that, I actually agree with what Michael's saying, and it does depend on the state in terms of the level of initiatives, but most new developments that we service have some type of prop tech or IoT solution that's directly targeting the issue. Um, and that's going to continue to grow and grow. Um, common denominator for all of them, they're usually internet connected, internet connected, excuse me. Uh, mm -hmm. But the methodology in which they're connected, whether it's Wi-Fi, localized RF, CBRS, is still uh, TBD. Uh, it depends on who you're talking to and, and where they're at and really what their technology strategy is. No, oh, that's great. That's a good answer. Thank you. And uh, we do have a question now from Thomas Aiken. Um, how would an ultra wideband network work with other frequencies discussed? Well, you know, we've experienced this for a number of years um, since the advent of cellular um, and as they got into higher ranges and even interference with Wi-Fi. Um, our typical approach when we have multiple wire, wireless um, environments, whether it's designed wholly by vision or not, uh, is an intermodulation study. You know, studying where the third and fifth harmonics uh, interfere from 800 megahertz into 2400 megahertz and those, those specific channel bands that are in there. And it's across all wireless technologies. Um, there is interference uh, everywhere. It's how you mitigate that interference and, and deal with it uh, that's extremely important. To add on to what Michael mentioned, um, I think predictive RF analysis is one thing. However, with, with how many connected devices and things that we see today, uh, ongoing RF analysis is, is really, really important. Um, you know, for example, in a new construction, let's say it's a 400 unit multifamily residential, you know, it's fairly easy to use various predictive RF software platforms from IB Wave, and say, hey, this should be a good Wi Fi deployment, for example, or this should be a good cellular DAS deployment. However, once walls are up, windows are in, uh, and people and connected devices start moving around, things change <laughs> very quickly. So that ongoing management piece for really any of this, depending on what technology is crucial. Clint had made a comment earlier, which we see across all of our owner operators, that he has a fairly lean IT team. 
Uh, most of the IT teams we see and work with are leveraged across multiple sites, multiple locations, multiple states. Uh, it's important that any partner that you choose for whatever type of network technology you do install is really involved in that ongoing management piece. It's the only way to be successful in the longer term. Yeah, that brings up a great point. It's it's a partnering. It's a it's a long term relationship. Uh, really, is what you're building when you when you select somebody to work with like that. Now that that's a great comment. I like that. I think you know we're we're sort of seeing that uh, companies that require a higher level of security, and uh, you know, so we're our sister company is Rocket Mortgage, right? We have Ally Bank that we've been doing a lot of work with. You know, the people who want that sort of higher level security also want to completely control their IT environment, and so you know, putting in you know, I think part of what Ally Bank likes about CBRS is you know from the cell phone to the radio is where all the magic happens from there on it's just connected to your ip network and so they're not looking at necessarily having to even add anyone to their it staff to be able to manage that cbrs network and it's also you know they have a big enough staff and their security enough conscious they're not also not going to go to an msp to run that for them so you know it's, it's an interesting sort of use case for those, you know, financial services companies, probably healthcare, things like that, where they have an enterprise IT staff and they want to keep that stuff um, in-house. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that plays very well into the strategy, right? As you're, if you were to take a look at new build uh, versus, you know, a retrofit or something like that, and you're, and you're looking at that, that's going to have to play into the strategy is who is the future tenant? Who could be there? Because that is a great point that they could have their own use cases and their own scenarios and requirements that you have to take into consideration. Well, you guys did great, fantastic. I, you know, always, always a pleasure hearing the different perspectives. I, when you were talking about different carriers coming in, it made me think of a project I worked on when I was uh, IT director at Jamestown, when doing a refurbish, and uh, in New York, Manhattan. Uh, you know, getting a build, getting a, a carrier to bring wires into the building in a reef in a in a redevelopment can be real tricky because there's only so much pipe space coming in from the street, right? Uh, and that can get real competitive. And there were accusations that some com some vendors were actually cutting other wires to in order so they could fit theirs into it. I would just you wouldn't think anything like that would happen, but uh, you know, apparently. Apparently that's a thing. I don't know if you guys have run into any of that yet, but uh, crazy, crazy things can happen. I think uh, I, I appreciate too commenting on ESG, net carbon zero, because a lot of times people, uh, and I heard it on several of the webinars where people were saying, uh, our budget is tight, but I can get almost any funding for ESG, meeting ESG goals. And when it's tied to something like this, then uh, that uh, provides at least some of our viewers, and especially those that are watching this too as a recording. Uh, another strategy is to say, make sure you take into account all of the different return on investment that you'll get when you need these, uh, when you need these different technologies to come in. So um, special thanks to all our panelists, uh, you know, your, uh, your valuable contributions today. Again, these educational sessions are, are so critical for some of the things that we like to do and develop these relationships with the real com followers it makes such a big difference as i mentioned before uh, when people see you now at the conference 
uh, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I heard you talking on the webinar. And it's almost as if they know you and the relationship starts to get a little bit stronger. So uh, it's just and here it's a lot of information to process. Yeah, our, our audience was a little quiet with questions and stuff, but I, I think the topic is still so relevant for today. So um, and let me just add, whether you've joined us live or you're watching this as a recording, thank you for tuning in and be sure to register for Realcom's next webinar series entitled Workplace Evolution, Trends and Immersive Experience. That starts October 12th, followed by part two in that series with workplace models and case studies. Uh, I sat in on the planning sessions for part one, and let me just say that you're absolutely gonna wanna tune into these sessions. It's fantastic information, a lot has changed. What we thought was true a year ago is now no longer true and things are changing. So it's it's pretty impressive and, and it's just fantastic information. So be sure and tune in for that. Also make uh, your plans now for Cortec 2023 and a new series uh, established by Realcom called Buildings AI that's hosted by Meta in their museum at Meta Campus at Menlo Park. A uh, mm -hmm. lot of AI uh, sessions that are interacting and affecting the way commercial real estate is done. Some of the sessions and the things that were mentioned here will begin to generate data that's being processed by AI. So it's quite interesting to see how those are coming together. So that's uh, November 15th and 16th. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, thank you so much. Be safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank Bye. you.